Hello, and welcome to the Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer, or Mid-East Soccer Podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. As Indonesia passed the chairmanship of the Group of 20, or G20, to India earlier this month, major Muslim and Hindu organizations, backed by their governments, are battling to define the role of religion in global politics, and whether the world's significant faiths need reform to harness the power of their convictions. The battle's outcome could determine what constitutes religious moderation, the state's role in defining what religion stands for, and whether notions of reform will involve significant jurisprudential reforms aimed at erasing concepts of supremacy and enhancing principles of pluralism and greater freedom. The stage for the battle was set at the Religion Forum 20, a gathering of religious leaders in Bali earlier this month, in advance of a summit of the Group of 20 that brought together leaders of the world's major economies. Like the summit that positioned Indonesia, the world's most populous Muslim-majority country and the world's largest Muslim democracy as a rising power, the religious gathering positioned Nahdlatul Ulama, the world's largest and most moderate major Indonesian Muslim civil society organization, as a leading force in defining moderate Islam and promoting concepts of genuine religious reform, not only of Islam, but also of other major faiths, such as Hinduism. From Nahdlatul Ulama's perspective, Jurisprudential reform of religious law is the key to positioning religion as a source of solutions, not problems. Nadatul Ulama puts forward a strong proposition that it hopes will inspire other faith groups as the world continues to grope for a socially and politically pluralistic version of Islam in the wake of the 9-11 Al-Qaeda attacks on New York and Washington. The movement promotes what it dubs humanitarian Islam, that in contrast to state-driven attempts at moderation in autocracies such as Saudi Arabia, home to Islam's two holiest cities, Mecca and Medina, and the United Arab Emirates, unambiguously embraces the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, as well as the principle of religious and political pluralism. Moreover, Nadatul Ulama advocates reform of what it terms obsolete elements of Islamic jurisprudence. On the back of being a grassroots movement with an estimated 90 million followers, 18,000 religious seminaries, 44 universities, tens of thousands of Muslim scholars that constitute a religious authority independent of traditional centers in the Middle East, and a political party that is part of Indonesian President Joko Widodo's coalition government, Nadatul Ulama throws down a gauntlet for proponents of a state-controlled autocratic Islam, as well as religious nationalists in other faith groups. Its proposition was bolstered in 2019, when the group took the first step towards jurisprudential reform with a ruling issued by 20,000 religious scholars 
that eliminated the category of the kafir or infidel in Islamic law. Nadatul Ulama had hoped that gathering religious leaders in advance of this month's G20 summit would position reformist religious figures as an institutionalized engagement group of the world's most powerful political leaders and spark a movement that based on shared civilizational values would promote moderate and pluralistic expressions of religion across faith groups. Less than a month after the religious gathering, that is proving to be easier said than done. Rather than creating buy-in from other major Muslim organizations like Saudi Arabia's state-controlled Muslim World League, whom Nadatul Ulama invited to co-host the religious summit, and Rashtriya Swayamavasavak Sang, or RSS, the right-wing Hindu nationalist group that constitutes the ideological cradle of Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi and is ruling Bahatriya Janata Party, the summit appears to have sparked a subtle power struggle. The RSS and the BJP are widely seen as attempting to hollow out Indian democracy and secularism while instigating anti-Muslim sentiment in India, which is home to 200 million Muslims, the world's largest Muslim minority. Barely back from the religious summit, Ram Madhav, an RSS National Executive Committee member and close associate of Mr. Modi, who many see as a moderate, fired the first Indian salvo in the inter-religious power struggle as Indian officials and religious leaders conceptualize what they want to achieve at next year's G20 summit and what role religion and religious leaders may play. Chipping away at Indonesia's designation of the Religion Forum 20 as an official G20 engagement group with a permanent secretariat hosted by Nadatul Ulama's Jakarta and North Carolina-based Center for Shared Civilizational Values, Mr. Madhav was non-committal in his first public remarks after returning from Bali to India. Mr. Madhav expressed a personal preference for maintaining the religion forum with the caveat that it remained unclear whether the gathering would be allowed to retain its official G20 status. The Indian government will take an appropriate decision Mr. Madhav said in a television interview. Mr. Madhav dodged the issue of religious reform, insisting that the R20 per se is not necessarily about religion. It's about humanity, Mr. Madhav said. Spinning the R20 slogan of ensuring that religion functions as a genuine and dynamic source of solutions rather than problems Mr. Madhav suggested that religion could help solve global problems such as climate change and tackle what he described as woke issues like LGBTQ, issues related to family, marriage, even gender, rather than exercise introspection to eliminate problematic religious tenets as advocated by Nahadatul Ulama. This forum was intended to discuss global issues in that sense, the focus of this religious forum was not and will not be religion alone. It will not be religion-centric, but humanity-centric, 
So an effort to bring religions together on larger issues, Mr. Madhav said. Similarly, the Muslim World League has used the Religion Forum 20 to tout its own horn. While paying lip service to lofty values, Mr. Bin Salman would like to be identified with, but has yet to embrace wholeheartedly. Leaders participating in the R20 Summit expressed their appreciation of the great efforts and quality work of the Muslim World League under the leadership of His Excellency, the Secretary General, Sheikh Dr. Mohammed Al-Isa, the founder of R20, whose efforts contributed to its success, the League said in a tweet that falsely took credit for an initiative that belonged wholly to Nahadatul Ulama. The Indonesian group invited the League after the Saudi government asked Indonesia to assist in carving out a role at the summit for Mr. Salman's chief propagator of a socially less restrictive but autocratic interpretation of Islam that demands absolute obedience to the ruler. The invitation fit into a bold but risky strategy that also underlines Nadatul Ulama's engagement with Hindu nationalism. In the League's case, Nadatul Ulama hopes the alliance will undercut Saudi and League support for an Indonesian political party associated with the Muslim Brotherhood, the prosperous Justice Party, PKS. Analysts and pundits believe that a PKS-backed candidate could do well in the presidential elections scheduled for 2024. Moreover, like in the case of the Hindu nationalists, Nadatul Ulama aspires against all odds to persuade the League to adopt a genuinely moderate vision of Islam, rather one that serves Saudi Arabia's autocratic rulers. That, however, is a long shot, if not pie in the sky. Instead, the League has since the religious summit capitalized on Nadatul Ulama's dubious recognition of the Saudi government vehicle as an allegedly non-governmental organization. Furthermore, the League presumably seeks to prevent Nadatul Ulama from becoming a serious competitor for hearts and minds in the Muslim world through a policy of co-optation that fits into a broader Saudi and UAE effort aimed at seducing Indonesia with financial incentives. In the latest move, Mr. Bin Salman last week offered to fund the restoration of the Jakarta Islamic Center after the large dome of the complex's mosque suffered fire damage during restoration work. Saudi Islamic Affairs Minister Abdul Latif al-Sheikh made no bones about the purpose of the funding. Mr. al-Sheikh, according to Arab News, said the funding was in the kingdom's interest in serving Islam and Muslims based on its leadership in the Islamic world. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Also, thank you to all who have demonstrated their appreciation for my column by becoming paid subscribers. This allows me to ensure that it continues to have maximum impact. Maintaining free distribution means that news websites, blogs, and newsletters across the globe can republish it. I launched my column 12 years ago. If you are able and willing to support the column, please become a paid subscriber by clicking on Substack on the subscription button 
at www.jamesmdorsey.substack.com and choosing one of the subscription options. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. Thank you. Take care and best wishes.